0: may be seated well i'm so thankful to be with you loved in this space with you by jesus and to point to jesus with you and to walk through a passage that i feel like i've lived and i think maybe many of you may feel the same throughout this period of lent and building up to it both here Uh, from the pulpit and also in our ldi linton discipleship institute groups we've mentioned those a few times already we've been looking at what it means to be a healthy community of love and this week we get a journey with jesus into this well-known familiar yet not irrelevant passage an illustration in matthew 18 21 through 35 but first let's pray Jesus, you are the expression and word and communication of God who reveals yourself in your word. And I know we need this word because there is unforgiveness in our community of love, and I know that because I bring it. I struggle to forgive. I struggle to ask for forgiveness when I need to. And I may not be the only one. Thank you that you meet us right there in our struggle and that you have made us overflowed your mercy so that we are forgiven and can extend it to one another. Lead us now in your word. Amen. All right, so as we look at this illustration, which is just a continuation of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 on forgiveness, Matthew starts off with Peter coming up to Jesus and kind of setting this context. He says, we've been talking about forgiveness, but how many or how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? seven times or up to seven times we can insert the grimace emoji seven and and i think seven's not that many i mean people that live with me are in close relationship like a brother i wrong them much more than seven but seven here peter's talking about is more the sort of creation days type of seven the completion the completion picture the fullness the question really is is there a limit here So how many times is a good translation, but also maybe even how deep is this forgiveness? And Jesus' answer, interesting here, when he says, Peter, no limit, unlimited, sevens of seven, or seven times seven, or the completion of complete. In fact, his illustration then goes on to say, maybe we're asking the wrong question if we're keeping score and counting. Maybe we need to look at something else. Because if we're keeping score, it's not forgiveness we're talking about. But we do this, right? All of our relational defaults are set to transaction. What happens when you get a Christmas card from somebody that you didn't send one to? Get that address off the envelope and get it out in the mail. Or when you wrong somebody, you almost immediately want to say, I'll make it up to you. Get some good time to cover up that bad time. But see, that's not really how forgiveness works. I'll make it up to you doesn't really ever make it up. And so Jesus says it's almost like he looks at Matthew we don't know if he does but Matthew interesting right that our scribe here is also a creditor a tax collector one who would be very apt to understand what debt looks like He looks at him and he, and he now he looks back at the disciples and he says all right if this is about keeping score let's try this A guy owes 10,000 talents Now we don't know how much that is they did but just so we get it, he says, it's more than he could pay. And just so we get it, get it, he says, and even if he gave his life, he was sold, he wouldn't be able to pay it. And just so we get it, get it, get it, not just his life, how about his wife's life, how about his kid's life, and still wouldn't pay the debt. What we're saying here is, let's say, one talent, and see commentators still try to crunch the numbers, right? Okay, let's crunch the numbers. One talent is about one year's labor times 20 years times 10,000 is, I'm not a mathematician, Googleplex bajillion I don't know but the point here is we're not supposed to crunch the numbers the point is you can't crunch the numbers it's beyond what you could give with your whole life if you're keeping score we're not talking about forgiveness the only possible way out of this is to fall upon the mercy of the master and plead implore and this is what he does he falls on his knees and he pleads and this word plead is really interesting implore we see it earlier in Matthew with the magi when they come up and say where's this king we want to implore of him worship him it really means to bow down to lay myself completely low in reverence and allegiance to another it's an act of utter and complete allegiance so this is what the servant does or does he look at his pleading he says have patience with me as he's on his knees and then he says i'll get you back how he's still keeping score you can't get him back i'll repay you nonetheless the merciful master at this point realizes that you can't and because because he pleaded because he implored he says he released him he freed him from the debt, he counted at zeros And let's not gloss over the fact that this is a huge loss. I don't know how much this master had, but 10,000 talents couldn't have been small to him. He had to absorb this loss. As Tim Keller likes to say, in forgiveness, somebody absorbs the loss. There's a cross. But this servant is forgiven. Now, rather than living out his new position, which his new position is forgiven and freed servant, he goes in the phone booth and he comes out newly appointed master he plays the wrong role with himself and with others and how do we know this because he goes on the hunt that dude that owes me money where is he now some translations say he came upon another servant but i think it's meant to soften it a bit because the word really is search or find learn the location of so he's on the hunt. I've had this experience, by the way. Where's the guy that owes me money? I'll get to this at the end of the sermon. And he finds him, and it's actually a payable debt. About 100 days' wages or so. Easier to have forgiven. But look at the intentionality of these verbs. Jagged. He seizes. He chokes, he imprisons. The irony here, Jesus, the masterful storyteller, the one who is freshly freed, grabs. The one who could finally breathe after suffocating debt, chokes. And the one who narrowly escapes debtor's prison, imprisons this is how debt feels this is why we have these phrases like drowning in debt suffocating debt and the point of the illustration that Jesus is getting to is this is how unforgiveness feels drowning out of control powerless choked or being choked and I'm so sorry if anybody's had that traumatic experience we don't mean to use it flippantly but someone exerting total control over your life even your life breath Maybe some of you have felt this. I felt this. No matter what I do, no matter what, I can't make it up to them. They just keep holding this above me, Strang- like they're strangling me. They're in control. Or the other way, someone has wronged you, and no matter what you do, you can't stop thinking about it. It's in your mind, like this coach that owed me money. It was in my mind. I couldn't. He, I was imprisoned. See, forgiveness brings life, but the suffocated of unforgiveness affects the offended. It affects the offender. And watch, watch with me. It keeps going. It leaks. It affects the entire community. All of our relationships. Look at verse 31. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, that their buddy had just been thrown in jail for a debt that was payable, they were grieved discouraged disheartened it's a strong word but i think it's even stronger than maybe we look at because look at their actions rather than go to the one who's offended them jesus just taught about this now granted these aren't people who are ignoring jesus's teaching they are people in jesus's teaching the illustrations but jesus doesn't choose to have them embody his teaching which is to go to the offender Which is what we talked about last week in our LDI groups and from the pulpit. Going straight to the one who has offended us. Instead, they go around. They don't go tell him, they tell on him. Does this sound familiar? Their behavior shows us they're not just grieved, they are scared. Unforgiveness scars and it scares. It scares and it scars. It begets mistrust and fear in community. And it seeps out of our communities, between communities, between friends, between families, between churches. Should I keep going? Between denominations wrongs upon wrongs between religions between political parties between powers of state wrongs upon wrongs and absorbed not forgiven animosity and even between countries and i can see somebody sitting out here in the pews and maybe not this strong but thinking in the plush park street pulpit untouched by war How dare you? This personal relationship thing, forgiveness with me and God, the I'm sorry, I'm sorry too, grievances of your little community, when people are being blasted out of their apartments, fleeing for their lives on the streets. Are you aware? Is what you're talking about even scalable? Can you speak to that? It's humbling in some ways i say i don't know i don't know i'm not sure i personally can but i'm so thankful for the historic church for brothers and sisters who have lived through things like that and i'm so thankful for the global church for brothers and sisters who are living clinging to the gospel of forgiveness and grace right now through this Forgiveness is the waypoint to reconciliation of all things. Miroslav Wolf, one of these brothers and sisters, writes in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, right out of the experience of atrocities of war and suffering in the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s. Listen to what he says. He says, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners, a double exclusion. They're monsters, and we're innocent. You see what he's saying? It's the log out of my own eye, back out of a brother's. As soon as I start to accuse and say they're monsters, I'm pretending I'm not a sinner in need of desperate grace every second of my life. But the double inclusion, which Jesus talks about here, is as soon as I understand how desperately I need him and fall upon his mercy, then I realize that they're included in that same family and community of need see it's yes and yes it's yes to personal holiness we do need to be forgiven and it's yes to communities that live the forgiveness with one another and it's yes to between communities and reconciliation and justice and mercy of god overflowing to the world that so that he would reconcile all things to himself and so we pray for the believers in ukraine that they would be instruments of reconciliation and believers in russia right now brothers and sisters that they would be belie- they would be instruments of reconciliation and forgiveness and not just that they would be hopefully forgiveness after peace but that the forgiveness would bring peace and we pray for that we get back to this master the merciful master Look at what he doesn't say to his servant. He doesn't say, you know, you should have just forgot about this debt. It's, it's like peanuts compared to what I forgave you. He doesn't focus on the numbers. He doesn't count it up. He doesn't say, you know, forget it, dance and prance off to the tunes of false harmony. Just forget it and move on. Does this sound familiar? You know, we, don't, we don't need to hash it out. We don't need to talk about it. It's, let's, just, you, you're, I'm, let's just forget it and move on. Or how about you know like she might have something against me and i talked to her a little bit and she she might have something against me i don't have anything against her like i'm not the one in conflict here so i'm just going to forget it and move on no forgiveness is not forgetfulness and forgetfulness is not forgiveness feign to forget and live in false harmony is not a formula for forgiveness let me say it again feign to forget and live in false harmony is not a formula for forgiveness why because it skips two very essential elements the first is the owning the naming and the owning when the offender says i was wrong i recognize it and the offended so needs to hear that and the second is when the offended says i'll take off my hands i release you I no longer hold this over you and try to control you. And the offender so needs to hear that. And now we're on the path of real reconciliation. So this is what the master does say. He says, I showed you mercy. And you didn't extend that mercy to your fellow servant. You didn't overflow the mercy I showed you. In other words, you, as forgiven and freed did not forgive and free. What we have here is a failure of identity. Instead of living out who you were, you tried to take my place. And this is what we do when we hold this over people, when we try to make them make it up to us, when we fiercely defend ourselves when confronted, when we try to just forget and move on. We're in the wrong seat. And the only way out is to fall at the master's feet and plead, implore, again and again until it becomes who we are or until we are who we truly are. See, but unlike the servant in this story who says, I'll get back to you, I'll repay it. It's more like the tax collector in Luke 18 who stands at a distance and beats his chest and says, Have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Period no more I'll make it up or I should be making it up or I'm worthy of this work no scorekeeping period and this imploring and this falling on the mercy of God and asking and asking becomes basking as we receive his mercy look what David says we read this earlier one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell sit be live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty, to bask, to be overwhelmed by. And on the day of trouble, he will conceal me. And this trouble David was talking about in verses 1 through 3 is no joke. It's the the language of war, fleeing for his life. Even that trouble fades away in the presence of God. And look at this longing. He talks about in the language of longing, to be part of your household, to be in your house, to be yours, to be as yours. Identity. That's who I am. And that on the day of trouble you would conceal me envelop me we even have a picture here of like a child disappearing in an embrace of a loving father completely concealed this is the kind of closeness that david is talking about the basking and you know what he couldn't even fathom he couldn't even fathom that what we have in christ is more intimate than that more intimate than close because as we dwell with him as we ask and as we bask he actually dwells in us we are indwelt by him we become his house his household a community of his love indwelt more intimate than closeness see it looks like asking becomes basking and the basking is our worship and the worship transforms us to overflow his mercy and forgiveness in reconciliation to each other and the world there's the picture the forgiven forgive so i gave you a little hint about how i went on the hunt as a young christian to try and powerfully preach this gospel of forgiveness that i had learned but i found myself powerless out of control and trying to keep score so i signed a contract what i thought was a healthy contract to play professional basketball in Kazakhstan. Yes, there's basketball in Kazakhstan. And as I got there, I met my president, who was also the general manager, who was also the head coach of the team. Three hats he wore, a bit of a control freak. His, in his name is the word quiet, or quietly, which is kind of like calling your best bald friend Curly, because he wasn't really quiet, especially when he was upset at halftime or after a game, I remember him screaming and yelling and cursing. Luckily, I didn't understand much Russian then, but I did pick up some words I had to unlearn (laughs) constantly. But on the other hand, he was extremely quiet. When it was time to get paid, he was gone, sneaking around. So much that my first Russian phrase was, Coach, where's my money? Although, actually, if I'm honest, that's my second Russian phrase. My first Russian phrase was, give me the ball and get out of the way, I'm a wild dog. But you got to live into who you are. Just being honest. I wasn't getting paid, neither were were my teammates, and the conditions were miserable. I don't want to go into it. But we weren't getting treated plushly, and he was in control of all of it. In fact, one of the, the other import on the team, I'm one import, not without a Kazakh passport, the other import was from Uzbekistan. And he had a family, and so we brought this up to Mr. Quietly. Like, I'm not getting paid, I can't send money home. No pay, no play, baby. And Mr. Quietly's like, really? Really, you're going you're to exert control over me? He had our passports. This is, in retrospect, probably a bad idea that he had our passports uh for all our travel and whatever else so he went with his connections and I don't know how to the immigration police and said this guy from Uzbekistan is here illegally handed over his documents and I'm not exaggerating in the middle of practice the police came in and took him away gone we felt powerless oh by the way he also happened to be the head coach of the national team all the guys on my team were living off the stipend from the national team because they weren't getting paid from the club so if they brought it up, what happens? Bing! Off the list. Powerless. So I went to a lawyer. One of my expat friends. This is the end of the season. We played all year long. Um, one of my expat friends had a connection with a lawyer, and I went and, uh, and I talked to him. I showed him the contract. I showed him the empty bank statements. <laughs> I showed him game film and uh i remember this lawyer he's not intimidated by anybody he just won a case over some corrupt company for somebody else he kind of leans in and he's got his hands together and he goes i said well, what do you think he says we're gonna nail him <laughs> he actually used a statement a little more profane and i was like really okay started to feel some power started to dream started to scheme i even started to pray God, if you give me this money that I owe, that He owes me, that that I deserve, maybe we'll do some ministry stuff. I'll pay my teammates, we'll give them a blessing, maybe they'll come to Christ. (laughs) We could buy a new ministry center or some land for a gym. Transactions, keeping score. And so He's sneaking around, trying not to be seen in a prison of shame and I'm going crazy in my own head with resentment, locked up, two servants imprisoned, just like the parable. And I wasn't exactly basking in the Word, although I was trying to spend time on the Word. I'm not sure exactly how, but I came across Matthew 18. As I'm praying through this, I was convicted. And I don't want to give the idea that the main application of this or any application is that any monetary exchange or any debt needs to be forgiven, That's not what I was convicted of. I was convicted of my attitude towards this man in my heart. We're going to nail him. The ways I had rehearsed in my head how he had wronged me and how I was going to, even in court, prove it, show him. And these same verbs, seize, grasp, or choke, and throw in prison, went right to my soul. the only platform i had was not basketball the only platform i had of any kind of power was the spirit of god in me wrestled over my flesh and finally i realized i was being called to forgive and so i tried i tried to get a hold of him i called him i called him i called him nothing i called him about a week i remember it was a week because i actually had to buy my own plane ticket which was supposed to be my contract buy my own plane ticket i'm like well i guess forgiving means just not pursue this any further i'll let it go and then my phone rings unrecognizable number almost didn't pick it up I pick it up hello Mr. quietly quietly says meet me at the cafe across from the gym today no lawyer and hangs up I wish I was making it up and so I look that my teammate, who's also my translator at this time, had become one of my best buddies. And uh, I said, just Mr. Quietly, we're going down to Kangaroo Cafe. And he looks at me, and he gets excited. He's like, Dee, I told you. He had to pay you. He wasn't going to pay us, I knew it, but he's gonna, he had to pay you. You know, like the press conferences and all that stuff. He, he had to follow through. He had to do it. He's going to pay you. And he starts getting excited. I said, no, I'm going to forgive him. And he's like, wait, wait, what? What? I said, we're going to pray on the way, let's go. So we're waiting for him. He always makes you wait. Thinking he's going to step out of his sweet black luxury car, which he always rolled in with his leather jacket, which he always rolled in. Ten minutes later, he gets off the bus. Disheveled. This is not a dude who was swimming in my stolen luxury. This was a guy drowning in debt. And he sits down, and I remember this. I'm waiting. I'm supposed to do the humble thing, right? Let him talk first, and then I'll say, I'll forgive you, and then he'll rejoice. <laughs> and he sits down, and he's just shifty. He couldn't even focus. He couldn't even look at me, much less talk to me. And so I realize, okay, here we go. I say, I have a debt that's bigger than I could possibly pay back. It's more than my life. And he stops and looks at me and goes, really? I go, yeah, but it's actually been forgiven. Can I, can I tell you about it? He goes, yeah. And so I sat there and I told him about how God has forgiven me completely. How my sin has separated me from him. How my brokenness doesn't deserve to be anywhere near the love of God. But how God completely and fully, to fullness, without keeping score, forgave me when Jesus went to the cross. And I told him, if it's even just a taste, if it's enough to give you a taste of that forgiveness, this debt is nothing. It's gone. That you would experience his forgiveness. And he says, no. It's like, huh, that's not how I rehearsed it. (laughs) I thought we were going to high five and hug. And he says, no, I'm not going to pay all those, let's call them guys, but I'm going to pay you. And then he does this. See, I would have were, I were already forgiven him the debt before this, but I still had this hardness in my heart. But then he does this, and it melted it. He owned it. He listed the things I had put, rehearsed in my head, almost to a T. I'm sorry when I didn't pay your apartment and you got thrown out in the cold and I saw, I noticed when the guys went and lived with you and you paid out of your own pocket. I know you could have gone home any time. I know you played sick. I know you played hurt. I remember when your eye was blasted open and there was blood on the court and you went and got stitched up and played the fourth quarter. I felt horrible. I noticed. I saw it. I'm sorry. So I said, I'm still going to forgive you. And he agreed he needed to be heard he needed me to know that he wanted to pay me back and so he got up and he left I don't know my time's almost up here but I'm sitting there in stunned silence with my buddy and translator who's looking at me like you idiot <laughs> and he goes do you know that girl that lady behind you over your left shoulder it's like what yeah, she keeps looking over here. She's been here the whole time. And I kind of I look. And you know, and you can tell someone's not really local. And I, and I look, and this lady, she's like right here. It's a small cafe. And she turns and looks at me, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she says in this thick Southern American accent, Praise the Lord! <laughs> I was praying the whole time! I had no idea. Apparently she's there on a short-term mission trip. (laughs) She just stopped in at a cafe. And she introduces me to her friends from this ministry that I had never met. They're local believers. And we just had the sweetest time of fellowship. You know, unforgiveness chokes. Forgiveness breathes life into ourselves into our into the body our community and even out beyond it we can bask in his mercy because the one telling us this story is the one that fulfilled it completely to complete Jesus the Incarnate Son of God threw himself without dignity or respect at the Father's feet without keeping score as he was nailed to the cross and he implored father forgive them they know not what they do and he suffocated and he choked under the debt and he absorbed it so that we didn't have to and he came back to life and breathes the life into us forgiven and freed because it's who we are can we bask in that together for a second can we breathe that life Father, you are the merciful master, the beloved father who indwells us. Overflow your mercy and grace through us to one another. It's who we are, forgiven and freed. Your healthy community of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.